Well, I feel very blessed. I've just come back from holidays, so it's great to be back at home, or what feels like home for me very much here at Kensington Temple. Um, before I went away, I spoke on rebuilding the love relationship, on, on how we as Christians can rebuild our love relationship with the Lord, maybe if we've got tired, maybe if things have distracted us, discouraged us. And this afternoon, I guess I want to take it into the, the next step, and that's how we build our relationships with one another. And I want to dig that out a little bit and go into much more detail. So the title of my message is The Continual Fellowship of One Another. And my main portion of scripture will be Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25. And as always, it's a tremendous honor to stand and bring the word of God from this platform. So I'm very grateful to our senior leader, Colin, for the opportunity for that. And I guess I have for us one real learning outcome this afternoon, and that's how we can demonstrate genuine relationships in the body of Christ with one another. So if you have your Bibles, Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, just in the way of, by way of background, this portion of text was written for Jewish Christians, and we know that the first Christian church in the world was shaped in Jerusalem after the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost. And those Jewish Christians were bold, they were resolute, they were very, very strong in their faith. And so they took all the shame, they took all the embarrassment, they took the uh, ridicule, if you like, everything that was leveled at them, they suffered a lot of persecution, a lot of hostility, and a lot of anger towards them because the kingsmen at that time ridiculed them and wanted to put pressure on them to obey the very strict traditions and laws at that time. But over time, they found that their confidence waned, their determination, their resolve to meet began to weaken and fragment, and they ended up going to ground. They became silent in their faith, and it led to them not gathering as a congregation. And I guess for us today, we can maybe relate to a lot of that, right? You know, the Christian faith is probably the most persecuted faith in the world. We have to fight and stand for what we believe in, in our workplaces, in our families, in our homes, where we do life. And so we can probably relate to a lot of the peer pressure that we are under, maybe with social media, the new world order, society trying to redefine marriage, etc. So I want to start this afternoon by setting the scene a little bit. You know, 20, 30 years ago, society, family, community was all orientated around family. You'd have two, three, sometimes four generations of family all living under one roof. But as time has worn on, we find that life is much more individualistic, isn't it? If you go to your local bookshop, it'll always be 12 steps on how you can achieve this. 10 ways you can achieve that. There's nothing for community. It's all individualism. And we fall into the trap in our own lives in many, many areas in our walk. Just sit on the tube. Anyone ride the tube to work? Sit on the tube. Everyone is doing one of two things. They're either on their phones or they're reading the newspaper. Nobody talks. And sometimes you're on a tube for 20, 30, 40 minutes sitting next to the same person almost every day but there's no dialogue, there's no conversation, because we are being conditioned, or we're trying to be conditioned now to live individualistic lives. But we also rely on ourselves, don't we? We naturally will always 
kind of go to our own end strength, our own focus, our own effort, our own energies first before consulting somebody else. Most of our connections will take place in the workplace, but those, aside from here, being at KT, because obviously I'm on the staff, uh, a lot of the relationships in our workplaces are very short-lived, they're very fickle, very shallow. Hello, how are you? I'm good. How are you? How was your weekend? Great. How was yours? Not too bad, thanks. Back to our desks. And we just had community. People church hop as well. Church hopping. I don't never understand it. Never understand why people church hop because they're looking for something that they think doesn't exist in one church, so they go to another church and they find it doesn't exist there, so they go somewhere else and then they go somewhere else. And what they don't realize is the problem, quote unquote, is them. It's the need that they have is inside them and they have to address it. And the way we address it is by building authentic community. And so that's the learning outcome for us today is to build authentic community. So I'm going to trial something a little different. I'm going to go a little bit out of left field here. And I would love everyone to stand in this place. And I want every single person in this room to go and find someone that you've never, ever, ever spoken to before. Everyone. Everyone stand. Yep. So for the guys, you know, if there's the girl that you like in the church, you can use me as an excuse to go and say hi to her right now. And I want you to go and say hi to someone. Take a minute, have a conversation. <laughs> Good afternoon. Are you well? Okay, I think that's uh, just about enough. If I could ask us to all now take our seats. Thank you so much. No, maybe not. Amen. If I could ask us all to please take our seats now, if that's possible. Thank you. Settle down. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> awesome. If I could ask us all to now please take our seats. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Now, how many of us say that was fun? How many voted and say that was fun? Did we enjoy that? Amen. Right there and then we just had community and they're still having community over here, which is fine. I didn't expect to be such a fantastic response. 
But that's community right there. And it's fun. And that's what God calls for us as the body of Christ, to be in community with one another. But, you know, often we don't want to be in community. We, we look down at our phones. We hide behind computer screens and emails. And that face-to-face interaction is the most valuable. It's the most important. Um, often we will know people who are not fully in community. They don't rely on the body of Christ when they're struggling. Instead, they wear masks to cover the pain, pretending that everything is okay when it's not. And yet the author here in Hebrews very clearly says, do not give up meeting up. And often, I think, for us as Christians, we have a misguided understanding of what it is to be in community. We often affiliate it with church. I've come to church. I've just had community. I spoke to a few people outside. I said hello to the pastor. Bye-bye. And we ticked the box that I've had community, and that's me for the week. There's nothing more than that. There's no more interaction. There's no more relationship building. But there's one problem with that line of thinking is that we simply don't go to church. We are the church. Everywhere that you do life with fellow believers, you are the church. Scripture is very clear. Where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. So if we think that we go to church over the weekend, we're no longer in community if it's strictly within the church. When Jesus established the church, he was really establishing a community of people, not a designated time to connect. And there's two books that I would recommend, one by our senior leader, Colin Dye, on people with a passion. It's a great resource that helps you understand how we do sell, how we do life here in the church as a big church. You know, you can't be best friends with however hundreds of numbers of hundreds of people in this building right now, but you can be really, really good friends with a small group of people that you can do life with. And there's another book, and I'm sorry, I couldn't find it. I have a PDF version on my phone. It's called Sacred Companions by David Benner. So this afternoon, I'm going to actually work backwards from verse 25 through to 23. We have a genuine need for one another this afternoon, to worship, to love, to serve one another. And the words one another appear twice in those three verses, which I consider highly significant, because the word translated encourage is sometimes, sometimes translated comfort. So we're called to comfort one another, because it's simply not enough for the pastor to encourage you, right? As great as the pastoral team is here, it's simply not enough. They can't take the phone call from you at 7.30 on Monday morning before your interview at 8 a.m. We need to be in relationship with one another so that there are a group of people that we can connect to, that we can build healthy, wholesome, Christ-centered relationships with that will endure and stand the test of time. So here are some reasons why we must gather together, all involving one another, to encourage one another, to support one another, to meet the practical needs of one another, to worship the Lord with one another, and to read the word with one another, but also to edify and encourage one another, to stir one another up, to rise to the challenge to fulfill God's call in each and every one of our lives. You know why? Because it's simply not enough to say, well, you know, I hope I run into you next week, or, you know, maybe I'll see you at cell group on Thursday. It's insufficient. It's, it's so non-intentional. It's so um, lacking in focus that you're never going to build an intentional, purposeful relationship here with any group of believers. So, you know, a small illustration, 
and I, I hope that the ladies will rejoice in this, right? But for any men that are married here, I guarantee you, you were intentional in pursuing that relationship with that lady. And what I mean by intentional is you were intentional, you were frequent in your communication, you were honorable in your intentions, you showed commitment, you showed focus. You didn't just ask her out, I'm guessing, you know, on the 1st of January, and then you went out on the 2nd of January, and then you didn't phone her again for three weeks, and then thought you'd send her a text and say, do you want to hang out for coffee? She's not going to say yes, right? Ladies, you want, you want focus, right? You want commitment. You want the guy to show his intention. Can I get an amen from the ladies? Amen. Men, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you need, that's where you need to start. But that's where the relationships start. They start by being intentional. We've got to forge those deep relationships. Superficiality is done. The evidence for that, millennial generation. More and more millennials are logging out of their Facebooks. They go to small churches or smaller churches because they don't want to be a little dot in a picture of 20,000 people somewhere worshiping God. They're not interested in how many people follow them on Instagram or Twitter. They want meaningful, deep, intentional, purposeful relationships. And at, and at the end of the day, that's what we all want. Jesus spoke to crowds. He discipled people, but he spent time really just with 12 guys, 12 people that he poured his life into. And Billy Graham was asked, the great Billy Graham was asked, if he could do his ministry all over again, what would he do? He said, I would pour it just into 12 men, 12 people. And that's why here, a church the size of KT, as multi-diverse, as multicultural as we are, that's why we have the cell vision, so that you can have those fellowships, you can have those communities during the week, because Sunday is not sufficient. Sunday is your regular diet of Bible teaching, praise and worship, but you need stuff Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Amen? Amen. Quoting David Benner from his book, Sacred Companions, spiritual accompaniment is an accompaniment in love. Love is always the motive for attentive listening. Love is the motive for offering attentiveness to the Spirit instead of mere advice. Love is the motive of any reproof that must be given, and love is the motive for the overall climate of encouragement and support. We achieve that by submitting to one another and to the Holy Spirit and going where he leads us to connect to people that he has called us to reach. And we allow the light of Christ to shine through us. And we do that by building those relationships. And often the reasons that we don't build those relationships are we don't see the value in it, we don't believe in it, or for some of us we've been so hurt by our trust being breached, our confidence being damaged by previous relationships that we no longer want to engage with people in relationship anymore because once beaten, twice shy, so often in our lives. But there's so much value in it because when you look at somebody else, you can see them for who they really, really are. They're no longer just a name and a number. They're a person. They're a son or a daughter of the Most High God. Um, I won't mention his name. There are certainly a few people in the room who, who know the name of the individual I'm talking about. Um, but I met uh, a young guy in our church here uh, six years ago this month, and he had been arrested for some pretty serious stuff, and he was on, on uh, bail with an ankle bracelet on, seven to seven, he had to stay at home. And his mother was very concerned that he was in with the wrong crowd, and her cell leader contacted me and said, well, could you follow this guy up? 
and there's always somebody to connect with. There's always somebody that I meet on a Sunday. And I said, sure. And I connected with the guy, and, and I obviously, you know, he's, he was about 20 at the time, so you're going to struggle to get a job. You're at the bottom of the list for just about everything, right? But we managed to get him a job at Peter Jones over Christmas, and that was like the biggest breakthrough, like one month salary. Um, and then the following February, two days after my birthday, he goes to court, and, and the court gave him uh, nine months for his part in this particular situation. And I thought to myself, well, at this point, I've known the guy six months. There's always something else to do. There's always someone else to connect to. He is a name and a number, but I'd built up a sufficiently solid relationship with him that I thought to myself, there's only one way that I'm actually going to get hold and keep hold of this person is by staying connected to them, by being intentional, by being specific, by being committed to that relationship. And so every single week, uh, I would write to him and I would send him the cell group notes from our cell meetings. Every other week, I would get one of my other cell members to write to him and he would write back. Sometimes there'd be a bit of a delay. And we did that on and off well, for the whole time, for the whole seven months that he spent at Wormwood Scrubs Prison. And, and for me, it was retraining my own mind because I actually ride the tube from Notting Hill out to Hanger Lane, and so I, the, the train actually goes past the prison. And I noticed with myself that I naturally would sit on, with my back to the platform when I step on the train. So I had to retrain myself to stand on, sit on the other side so that I would see the prison, every single morning for about 10 seconds as I flew past on the tube. And it would always just trigger, have I written to him this week? Do I need to write to him now? And long story short, he, he got out on day release. Uh, he got out, he was released early, sorry, in August 2013. And I didn't even know that he was out. I knew that he was due out in September. And he was released on the Friday afternoon. Where do you think he was on Sunday morning at about 1 o'clock? He was right here in KT knocking on the door to the senior minister's office, asking to speak to me, right? The guy is still in the church. He's on holiday right now. He's on work trip right now. He is one of my cell leaders. He leads a cell with seven or eight guys of his own, right, today, all because I took some time five, six years ago to say that's not just a name and a number. That's not just an, an email address for someone. That's a person that just needs some encouragement that I need to build that connection with. And that's true for every person here. I'm sure all of us have got stories similar to that. And that's where God works best. Amen? And by the way, just as a side note, um, the very, the very uh, government that imprisoned him, he now works for. You know, that's how, God, that's how God works in these situations. Right? That's how God works. We read in verse 24, right? If we, if we go to verse 24... And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. We know that the threat against our faith and our love for Christ is only going to increase. Just look at the situations where Christianity is being pushed to the margins, where what we stand for, what, what we stand for in Scripture is being eroded, it's being challenged, it's being redefined, it's being modified, it's being tweaked, whatever words we want to fit in. And the preciousness of such close relationships becomes very, very obvious when we read, read what Paul says in Ephesians 5, verse 16, that the days are evil. The preciousness of comforting and encouraging one another in our faith is felt most when the price of faith is high. He challenges us, even in the end of that verse, to make the most of every opportunity. Because the truth is, friends, we need each other. We need to trust. We need to rely and depend on one another. And that involves us being vulnerable. 
That involves us being accountable to one another. It involves us opening up and sharing about who we really are, about our deepest sources of shame, about our most acute senses of discouragement and disappointment, our fears, our failures, the things in life that we don't want to talk about, that we don't present on our social media accounts, that we don't communicate to people that we don't know. But it is possible to build those deep relationships. So let's take a step back for a moment. When we look at Scripture, the biblical foundation of ministry in small groups was in Bethlehem. Consider this. The premier fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. Love is the first and greatest commandment. It's also the second commandment. Love fulfills the entire law. Love is the greatest of faith, hope, and love. Yet God has ordained that this love, this reality, that the rise and fall of the church will be on our willingness to meet up and encourage one another. Because that's what the world is crying out for. The artificial, the, the fake news, the fake designer clothing, the fake social media friends. The world wants reality now. The world wants what we have. And what we have is genuine because it comes from God. Amen? He emphasizes our ministry to one another with regard to our duty. He told us, in order to stir up love and good works. We need to be with each other so that we can be like Jesus to each other, but also to the people in this world. And we should always base our commitment out of conviction and not convenience. So whatever we get involved in, whatever nature or status of a relationship, we base it out of commitment. Not, well, if this person can do something for me, then I will be friends with them. You're like, well, how can I serve them? How can I love them? How can I honor them? And if we want any more encouragement on that, Romans 12, verse 10, Paul says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another, there's those two words again, in showing honor. In showing honor. And what we sow, we reap. So if you're sitting here today and you're like, well, you know... I'm not really that close to my cell leader, or I don't really know the guys in my cell group. How much effort have you put in? How much commitment have you demonstrated? How much have you made yourself accountable, vulnerable? Because that's where the growth occurs. When we get, take off the mask and we become who we really are, we demonstrate our, our failings, our frailty, our struggles. And the Jesus in you ministers to the Jesus in me, and the Jesus in that person ministers to the Jesus in me. Amen? That's where the kingdom of God comes alive most. You know, I remember the first cell meeting I went to back in 2003 or 2004. Didn't really understand the purpose of them. I thought they were like AA meetings. You know, you kind of sit down and the, the, the leader would sit and talk for 50 minutes and then you'd leave and that would be it, right? I found that's not really the case. Uh, and I was quite a private guy. I guess in some respects I still am. And I just remember it was all, we were all sat in a circle, you know, so it had these kind of horror movie feels to them. Um, you know, some of these movies that you can see. And, and the guy who was the cell group leader actually led me to the Lord. And he, he opened up, he shared a word, we had an icebreaker, all that good stuff that I now know. And then he said, well, does anyone have any issues, any challenges, anything that they want to share? And I will never, ever, ever forget it, as long as I live. The guy to my right put his hand up like he was in class, and I thought, that's weird. And I, but I never said anything, because it was my first time, right? So you keep quiet, you just hold your, hold your corner... And he said, oh, I'm struggling with porn. And I remember in, inside, I'm just, I laughing my head off. I looked at him, I said, why are you telling us that, man? <laughs> like, like I, I didn't, I, and he looked at me like, you know, why are you asking me that? <laughs> you know? And 
He walked out of that cell meeting knowing that he had people covering him in prayer, knowing that he had been prayed for, knowing that he was stronger. I walked out thinking by keeping my mouth shut, by not sharing my issues and my struggles, that I was stronger because I hadn't shared anything. And yet James 5 is so clear, right? Confess your sins to your brother and what you will be healed, right? Here's the evidence for it. That was a cell group that I was in 14, maybe 15 years ago, with the exception of one of them who passed away, unfortunately. I'm in touch with every single one of those guys. Some of them are in America, some of them are in Nigeria, some of them are in Sweden, Norway. Some of them are still here in this church 14, 15 years later. So you can build those deep relationships if you want to. And it's the principle of sowing and reaping. What you sow, you reap. If we read verse 23, we have a command to follow. And whenever the Bible gives us a command to follow, it will always be based on doctrinal realities. And the doctrinal reality here is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I believe that that's one of the most important steps that we can take, is to renew our commitment to Christ, to the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in this, the writer of Hebrews is saying that the faithfulness of the Lord is that he will keep his promise. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Our hope is in the return of the Lord. He promised to return, and he will be faithful to that promise. So a little bit of reflection this afternoon. What have we actually considered? What have we actually thought about? What have we learned? We've learned that individualism and doing life on your own is not part of God's design for your life. Right? No matter how much you may try and convince me. Otherwise, it's not part. After all, God is a community himself, existing for all eternity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Enjoy love and fellowship in perfect community with one another. And in creating mankind, God created us to participate in community and know that joyous love. Scripture is all about community. We read it. God chose the Israelites to be his people, and I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. They lived and they worshipped him in community. Following the death, the resurrection, and ascension of Christ, God then instituted the church, the body of Christ, as a community of believers in 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We are also safer in community. Society will tell us that we can do life on our own, but God's word simply says that we cannot function without one another. 1 Thessalonians 5:11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. The measurement of God's love for us is always the cross. Our love for God is always expressed in our love for others. You are never more like God when you are helping the hurting, when you are encouraging those who are deeply discouraged, when you are making efforts to communicate with people who maybe don't communicate back, but you still persist. We serve the needy, we restore the brokenhearted. Psalm 133 verse 1, how great and pleasant it is when the brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. In God's eyes, it is great and pleasant when we hang out and we don't have to sit in pews all day either. You know, we can go for coffee, we can go to a football match if you're particularly interested. You can do whatever we want to build fellowship, to build community. 
our primary motive for building healthy, wholesome, Christ-centered relationships in the body of Christ should be the love of others and a genuine desire to help them grow into the full measure of wholeness and holiness for their eternal destiny. When love is the motive, our heart will always be in the right place. When love is the motive, we are reminded that spiritual companions will always give themselves, not just their expertise, not just their advice, not just their prayers. They will give of themselves. When love is the motive, we are reminded that anything of value that we give to others is grounded in God's love for us. And that brings our attention back this afternoon to who Jesus really is, the lover of our soul, the lover of our soul, the one in whom, whose presence in our lives makes life worth living and whose presence in the lives of those we seek to accompany make spiritual companionship sacred. And that's the focus, that's the renewal for us today, is that we renew our commitment to one another. We renew our love for one another because when we build those authentic relationships, the world will see that we don't tear each other down. We don't try and beat each other on who is more effective or who is more godly or who knows what Leviticus chapter 1 verse 2 says that we just love one another, we serve one another, we honor one another, that we're shaped by his grace. And it's not about me, it's about you and how I can serve you. And those relationships are possible. You know, I've been to a few weddings over the last few years and I've been to some weddings where the entire uh, groom's team or party, or whatever you want to call them, all eight groomsmen, only members from their cell group. And yet three years before, none of those guys knew each other. But in three years, they built such deep, meaningful, deliberate, wholesome relationships that they're now like godchildren to each other's children. They're like, they hang out, they go on holidays together all the time. And it's possible, but it's down to our desire to actually meet, to actually fellowship, that, that we keep the main thing, the main thing every single time. Because when we do that, we demonstrate the love of God to other people. Amen? And that's what I want us to do this afternoon, is to renew our commitment. And so maybe you're sitting here and you're like, well, you know, you're talking about the second coming of Jesus, like, I don't even know about the first one. Well, let me tell you, Jesus is perfect in all of his ways. He loves you. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Love, by its very nature, gives. Always, it always gives. That whoever believes in him shall not die, but have eternal life you know and I'm 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 at a point in my life where it's, it's all I really care about now is, is genuine relationships and if any any of you guys really know me that's what I really strive for that's what I live for I don't live for superficiality I couldn't care how many people like an Instagram post or a Facebook post I want genuine relationship I want genuine community I want to know that I know that I know that I know that my brother my sister has my back is praying for me is encouraging me but also edifies confronts challenges they don't just passively accept me for where I am, but they want to help journey with me to move forward. So I want to finish with a quote that I have on my phone because that book I mentioned I couldn't find by paper, so I have it as a PDF, and then we will pray together. Soul friendship is the gift of a place where anything can be said without fear of criticism or ridicule. It is a place where masks and pretensions can be set aside. 
It is a place where it is safe to share deepest secrets, darkest fears, most acute sources of shame, most disturbing questions or anxieties. It is a place of grace, a place where others are accepted as they are for the sake of who they may become. Obviously, this demands confidentiality. Unless it is clear that confidence is shared, will be kept within that relationship, there is no real safety. Apart from a sense of safety, there is no possibility of a genuine friendship because real people need real love. Because apart from real love for real people, we will always be dealing with secret or not so secret impatience, judgmentalism, resentment, envy, or anger. Real people require real love if we are to give the genuine gift of his presence. That kind of soul friendship is only in an effective context for the kind of one another in care and concern that should exist in every single cell group. It is not the soft option as it demands we love enough to encourage, exalt, confront, and not just passively accept another person's state of mind and heart. This is the true value of Christian fellowship. We accept responsibility for one another's spiritual growth. That's our responsibility. So every single person here this afternoon who you just went and had a conversation with, it's your responsibility for their spiritual growth. Hmm? There's always a reason why I have you to do something. So think about it. Go and have a conversation with somebody afterwards. Take responsibility for the person next to you for their spiritual growth, and they will take responsibility for you. But I want to finish by inviting people, if you've never, ever, ever put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if I could ask us all to bow our head and close our eyes in these final few moments. If you're like, I don't even know what relationship you're talking about, I don't know this Jesus that you're talking about, he's here. Where two or more are gathered, there he is in the midst. And he is your great lover. He is the lover of your heart, the lover of your soul. God loves you so much that he sent everything, the very, very best of what he had in his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you so that you may attain salvation, you may attain eternal life in heaven with him. So if you've never put your faith in Christ today, but you want to, just in this atmosphere, I just ask that you raise your hands. Nobody's looking, nobody's interested it's just between you and God right now. If you've never placed your faith in Christ, but something has spoken to you this afternoon and you're like, I want to know more about this Jesus. I want to know more about these deep relationships. While every head is bowed, every eye is closed, just slip your hand up and a member of our team will be with you and they will just put something into your hands, a pack that just lets you know a little bit more about who Jesus is and about this church. Don't want to prolong the appeal. Amen. Father, I just thank you for every heart, every person in this room. I pray your protection over their lives. I ask for you to help remove every stumbling block, every limitation, every stronghold in our mind that limits us from building those meaningful and penetrating relationships with one another. Father, help us to tear down the strongholds and the walls of opposition and the fear that we have of the unknown in not knowing somebody else, Father. Help us to see every person in this place for who they are in you. Help us to see them for their potential, for their value, for their purpose, for their calling, Father. 
and that we would be a body of believers here this afternoon that are intentional, are deliberate, and are committed to building one another up, encouraging one another, exalting one another, supporting one another, loving one another, forgiving, serving, honoring one another, Father, and that the world, as a result of our love for each other, would more people would come to know you through the love that we have for each other, that we would not just talk about it, but we would demonstrate it, Father, for your love always is a demonstration. Love, by its very nature, is a demonstration. So, Father, I just ask for soft hearts in this place this afternoon. Still every storm in every person's heart, fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of superficial, superficial relationships, Father, help us to go further, help us to go deeper. May, may our relationship with every person in this room be a reflection of our relationship with you. Healthy, strong, intentional, purposeful, vulnerable, accountable, and meaningful, Father. So, Father, we give you all the honor. We give you all the praise, Father, and that we would, in this place, spur one another on to good works and to love as we honor you in this place this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, let's, um, let's stand in this place as the worship team take us forward with some worship songs, and then we will come back to close the rest of the service. Let's stand and worship God in the house.